0: we're going to continue the sermon series after the Exodus. We're going to enter a very important and serious part of the Bible right here. Um, this is where God momentarily, just for a moment, puts aside his mediator, Moses, and speaks directly to his people. He's going to issue commandments to us that are intended to drive our thinking and our behavior. So we're going to begin in the book of Exodus on chapter 20. Uh, it's page 57 in the book, in the Bibles that we provided, if you want to read along, please listen along, and we're going to dive right in right where God declares, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. The first commandment: "You shall have no other gods before me well, well, what well, uh how's that working out for you uh me yeah, you. Uh- <laughs> I mean,
1: I wake up generally putting myself first. At best, putting Katie, the boys, the church. So I, I it's a struggle for me. I got to really fight for putting God first. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> Since Hold you're on. asking, I'm going to make some notes just. Okay. Now. <laughs> Second commandment: You shall not make for yourself a carved image
1: Never much of an artist or woodworker. So I'd say no, but I guess if this means that, you know, I kind of make God into my own image and my own making, box him in, then I, sometimes I do that. I have to say I'm guilty. Yeah. Could you stop asking me? Guilty.
0: <laughs> the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Ooh, that's a tough one. So how about it, Pastor Ryan? Uh,
1: actually, I'm, uh, this one's okay. Uh, I don't do a lot of Lord kind of moments. Uh, but, well, I guess if it all, I mean, if you take this technically, that I use God for my own vanity when I use his name in situations and use it for myself, mm-hmm. I, I've done that a few times. So I guess I'm guilty okay, of that Okay, so one, that's too. a no but. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so yeah, it's a yes.
0: The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days that the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day, therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So how's that working out for you? Oh, boy. <laughs> well,
1: the good news is on this one, I, I, I'm starting to anticipate your questions. I, I, get a, I feel like I get a free pass with this gig on Sundays because it, it, it requires a little bit of work. But I guess if it means trusting God enough to let other people like, wait to answer emails and, and letting people wait until tomorrow so I take a full day... I'm not doing well. I, I, I rarely take a real full day. Yeah,
0: I should. So it's not an innocent. So that, it's it's thing. A no. It's, it's a, a struggling it's, it's thing. Yes, it's inconsistent. Okay, inconsistent. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ooh, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Oh, man, another tough one. Hey, Ryan?
1: Well, listen, my mom and dad listened to this podcast. Uh, so let's just skip that one.
0: <laughs> hi, want, Mr. And Mrs. Say, hi, Mr. and Mrs. O. Everybody yeah. say hi, Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> o. Okay. <laughs> okay. The Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> may, may we presume and just go Yeah, on I'm and... doing okay on this
1: one, but uh, <laughs> thankfully, I think we're all glad about that. Otherwise, I, I'm probably not going to be here long. But but I will say Jesus does say in you know, Matthew chapter five, you know, mm-hmm. anyone who insults his brother even gets angry, it's it's kinda like murder. it's yes. the same thing. So yeah. like I've I definitely gotten angry in my heart towards someone and Yeah. Uh, so e- I,
0: excellent point. I'll make another point. Yeah, role. so just go ahead. And,
1: I don't know why I'm telling you that. But.
0: <laughs> Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Are there any issues here?
1: No, no well. Again, I'm with my lovely wife, Katie, sitting right before me. I technically, no. Like I, I haven't, but again, <laughs> oh, okay. but, but again, Jesus says, you know, like, if I look at even another woman lustfully in my heart, like, with any kind of lustful intent, like, that's the same thing. He says, so, like, uh, surprise to Katie, that has happened uh, before. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a problem.
0: Yeah. I, There's a sense of doom here, impending yeah, doom.
1: Let's just hurry this
0: up, Yes, please. Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. Nothing,
1: ever, right? Well, do those little hotel shampoos count? Oh. Because I... I mean, I, I... Like, those are, you know... you got to stock up on this.
0: Okay, Ninth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I think we know the answer to this one. Nobody no. gets this one. Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or her, his servants or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Or his golf clubs or those season tickets, right, Ryan? Man, this
1: is just, honestly, Joe, this is incredibly frustrating. I mean, I, I'm always going to just fail, so just why well, continue yep. it? I'm going to be done here. I'll just get down.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, those are the Ten Commandments.
1: And yet, even after I sit down, I immediately regret my decision to throw in the towel. Uh, Because I realize a couple things about God's law, that even if I try to get away from it, or I temporarily numb myself to the law, I realize that it has some bearing on my future. I get the sense that, don't you? That how I do with it, my performance, will determine reward or punishment. In this life, probably, and probably also in the life to come, I get the sense that this will happen, which is why I care about it. I can't escape the gnawing reality. One's performance matters. Also, as I just sat and pondered each law, I thought, man, every law, each one is so good. Like, there's so much wisdom in each law. There's so much uh, benefit for me and good for society by obeying it. You heard the one about murdering. I think we're all glad about that one. And so we have this dilemma. We get up every day, and we give it the old college tries, but sooner or later, we fail. Sooner or later, that day, that week, and certainly the end of two weeks, I won't even go a month, we fail. So at some point, we either relax the law, make it a little easier, or we walk away from it and say, man, this this has nothing to do with me anymore. I have nothing to do with this. And yet, we can't escape it forever, can we? The law always returns through our conscience, through our kids, right? Isn't that the worst for those of us who have kids? And your kids remind you of, Dad, I'm pretty sure that's not the right thing to do. Or, in the least likely of places, through ourselves. When we want the law applied to us. Because we want to be treated fairly. We want to be treated rightly. We want to be treated as we deserve. And here comes the law again. Into our lives. What I hope we see this morning is that God has this way of of solving this dilemma Knowing we can't do it, yet still knowing it applies to our lives, sensing it applies, sensing it's relevant. God, it's a particular way of solving this dilemma, and having done so, wants to produce something far greater through you than just a passing grade at the Ten Commandments, than just a a C minus on the Ten Commandments. All right, so we're going to see this this morning. How does God solve this dilemma? How does He produce something far greater than just a passing grade on the Ten Commandments through you? And this is amazing. So first. Let's discuss the intent of these Ten Commandments, the law, for them, for the Israelites, back in the day. Number one, the first intent was to give them a way to respond to love with love. We think of the law as certainly old, archaic, rigid, but in truth it was the most natural thing to do. Someone who first steps out to love you and does so when you don't deserve it. And maybe you're not even not deserving. You're ill-deserving. You've been unkind towards that person. You've ignored that person. And they still do something incredibly gracious for you. What's your first response? You want to love them back, right? You want to do something back for them. You want to give back. You want to respond. Because that is the most natural thing to unconditional love. And so the law is the first love response God gives his people. And And we see... And we know this because of all the extra bits contained around the law. So sometimes we just see the Ten Commandments listed, but we don't see all those extra parts. But those extra parts are so important because they contain God's initiating love. Right? Look at verse 2. I've loved you by bringing you out of slavery. Deliverance from bondage. That's why you should love me back. Verse 5. I've loved you so much I get jealous of rivals. Which we would want anyone who loves us to do, right? If you're married... You want your spouse, if something happens, like it's, it's almost an affection you want to see, like a little jealous. Verse 6, I love you so much, I, I, I will keep on showing you the steadfast stream of love throughout your days, even if you're ill-deserving. Verse 11, I love you so much, I thought to create you. I thought to create you. Didn't need to. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect community for all eternity. But I just wanted to. And I thought of you specifically, making you in your mother's womb, thinking about your fingerprints, your eyes, your ears, your nose. Verse 12, I love you so much that I promise you a future in a promised land, and for potentially a long time, which foreshadows, of course, eternity for us who trust Christ. So on their own, commands would automatically sink God's people, but God repeatedly buoys the law with love. On our own, it's like the law is like a millstone around our necks. and If we were to try to carry it, eventually we we, we couldn't tread water. But God keeps buoying it. He said, remember my love, remember my tenderness, remember that I care for you, will care for you, unto the end of days. So here's the law, a way for them to respond back to God. That's the first intent of the law. The second intent is to lay the foundation of a community defined by love. In the Ten Commandments, God starts to build this in earnest, a community that will foreshadow the church, God's church, the church of Christ. Now, I use this image for our series. I haven't really talked about it yet, but, you know, I like like graphics. I don't know about you, but I feel like seeing an image sometimes helps me more than words. And this particular image I love so much because it gives this picture of a bunch of scattered individuals who have related to each other primarily through slavery before this, right? Just trying to get by through the day because we're all slaves, tired of the end of the day. And here they are, they go through this adventure of seeing all these plagues and miracles and finally they're delivered from death to life, certain death at the edge of the Red Sea and they pass through it to life. And they come out on the other side like, that was amazing. But they're still sort of all scattered. And so we get a way for them to express appreciation to God. And it's through that thanksgiving back to God that they unite. It's through the praises back to God that they unite. Through, I love you back, God, that they unite. They're free. They unite around the law that's meant to bring them liberty. God lets them know, here's how you can respond. Love me, love neighbor. And it's interesting, after we read the Ten Commandments, if you go on to Exodus 21, Exodus chapter 22, Exodus chapter 23, you get all these laws for about three chapters, and all of them can be summarized by love God and love neighbor. You could put that next to each one. Now, I know they're kind of archaic, like, I don't have any oxen that can gore my neighbor's oxen. You're like, that's just not relevant to me. But the idea is if you damage someone's property, you love your neighbor enough to restore it, to pay for it. Right? So you get all these laws. And that summarizes the Ten Commandments. Just about half of them are love of God. The other half, love of neighbor. And so we see the third piece of the gospel here. This gospel in the Exodus that we've been talking about. The gospel is revealed fully in the New Testament through Christ, but we see shadows of it in the Old Testament, including Exodus. We've summarized it before. God saves individuals through a mediator to make them into this people, into an us. And he starts to do that. You're giving them this law, a way to respond and love me back. So, it's not me, but we. It's not me and JC, but me and the Trinity. All right? That's what, I to channel my inner ice cube on that, but uh, I think I came across that way. <laughs> but, but such is the intent for the law for them. All right? That, that's for them. That was 13th century Palestinian wilderness this is 21st century, primarily Gentile, came in. So let's talk about the necessity of the law now for us. Firstly, this is going to be a quickie, it's to restrain evil. The Testament talks about this at different points. I'm just going to mention two verses of 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9. I'm just going to read this. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their mothers and their fathers, for murderers, and Paul keeps going on. Paul's point here is to talk about really the civil law, that God uses the government to institute laws to restrain evil. All of our laws today are still undergirded by the Ten Commandments, aren't they? The second need for the law today is to measure the heights of God's goodness and the depths of our depravity. Through the law, God shows just how amazingly good he is. And just when you think his goodness is is, is stopped here, then you realize, wow, it's really here. Then you realize it's really here. And it's humbling when you think like, well, I admit that I I mess up. Like we saw earlier in my case, Confessing the Ten Commandments, and you kind of think you're here, then you realize, well, actually, I'm kind of here. Here's a good example. One way is in the way God even expresses his law. We don't like Law or commands with do not, right? Like don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. It makes God make sounds like a like a taskmaster who wants to wrap your knuckles at any moment, right? It must be negative if it's expressed negatively. But consider how much more freedom God actually gives us with the law when it's expressed in do-nots. Let me give you two examples here, ready? All right, you shall not covet. It's one of the commands, right? You tracking with me? But that's more freeing than God saying, okay, I am prescribing limits on ownership, right? Everyone gets two goats, one cow, and your choice of a candle, a donkey, or a fig tree. And that's it. If God was to put his rules that way, you only get this, you only get this, you only get this. Don't covet anything else. Much more restrictive. Or think of it this way. You shall not commit adultery. Allows more liberty, specifically in a marriage, than... You're required to have relations with your spouse twice a week, only in the evening, certainly not on the Sabbath, right? Because it's work, at least for her, right? That's <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. I ran that by a few people beforehand, so. So, right? And so, so what if God expressed his law in that sense? It would be much more restrictive. But no, he says, don't commit adultery. I've given you this relationship so you can enjoy all the fruits of love without harming yourself. There's freedom in expression of it, but limits so that you won't hurt others. So in the the words of G.K. Chesterton, God gives rule and order to give room for all the truly good things to run wild. That's the only way it can happen. Yet, here comes our depravity. We still want either more than the rule, Three options instead of one. I want his instead of mine. Or, we want the only thing God has prohibited, right? We want to eat from that tree. The only tree. God said, don't! So we want either more than God has prescribed, or we want the one thing he said no to. Which shows us, God's trying to give us something good for us, and even then, we stubbornly say, no, 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 God. I think I know better. I'd rather have more. I'd rather have that one. To our core, we still want to get away from the law. That's a problem. Measuring the heights of his goodness, depths of depravity gets us closer to the law's third and probably most, definitely most important necessity, which is this. It prepares us to receive something better. Prepares us to receive something better. I'm going to go ahead and turn now. Now we're going to turn to the New Testament to see what it says about the law. Galatians 3, 24 through 26. And man, there's been books and stuff written on the law in the New Testament. I'm going to try to do this as best as possible. Galatians 3, 24 through 26. You can read it on the screen with me if you want. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. In other words, just believing, not by how we do it, the law. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You're all part of the family of God through faith. Now, key to this whole understanding, the purpose of the law, is this term guardian. You're probably like, what what the heck? What's the guardian? Is that a guardian angel? I saw some movie called The Guardians. I'm pretty sure it was for kids. I'm not sure. What is a guardian? And what's it got to do with me and Jesus? Well, Here's my, I'm going to give you this analogy here. You ever worked with kids not your own, especially here in Cayman, you may have wondered whether your child's, you know, whether it's your child's friends or you're volunteering with kids in some capacity. You've likely mistaken at some point a helper for the parent. At some point, maybe there's some similarities, you know, in how they look or whatever, and you've thought, oh, that, that must be the parent when it's really the helper. Maybe you didn't speak up or maybe you did. Yesterday's prior to Mason's hockey game, three boys came up to me and said, "Hey, Pasta! Hey, Pasta!" Um, I love it when people call me Pasta. Um, I thought there's some of you in this church who purposely now, when you send me emails and stuff, say Pasta, which is great. I love it. It's very endearing. Hey, Pasta! Do you remember us and this and that? And I, they attended Savannah Primary. We had, I had an amazing opportunity to share a, a short gospel message just a couple weeks back at Savannah Primary School and. I reintroduced myself, and I said, you know, hey, this this must be your mom. And I said this because she was buying a hot dog for one boy. I saw her during this time buying a hot dog. The youngest kind of clung to her leg as she got closer. I was going to introduce myself. She was the helper. And and she was doing the best she could to watch these kids. She was doing an amazing job. But when their dad came and he walked through the doors, the kids immediately went to the dad. They're like, oh, dad, dad, you know, and their dad's here. And that's what a good nanny or helper does. She doesn't try to be a substitute on the one hand, nor does she neglect the kids on the other. She prepares them as best she can for when the real thing walks through the door, mom or dad. That is very similar to what the law does. right? It takes care of us. It prepares us. It readies us for the real thing. When the real thing walks through that door. So we can see the real thing when it walks through that door. And that real thing is Jesus. So we see the reason for the law today, the reason why it matters for us today. Finally, the better law. There's a better law for all who believe. I'm going to share with you three realities here. First, Jesus fills full the law. Second, Jesus so fills full the law with love that it overflows in this production of fruit. Thirdly, I'm going to share with you here, He wants to do the same thing again through us. So, firstly, Jesus fills full the law. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 and 6, Jesus goes up onto this mountain like Moses did. And he gives us this high standard of ethical principles. Do you remember this? It's called the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Jesus quotes these Ten Commandments many times during the Sermon on the Mount, reminding us of them. But he says, My law, these commandments are even greater, even harder. So there are lots of, you should do this, you should not do this. So he deals with anger, lust, divorce, making promises, retaliation, enemies, prayer, fasting, investing, provision, anxiety, all kinds of ways that we're supposed to live. But during the sermon, massive sermon, Jesus refers to himself one time and only one time. He refers to himself doing something, but that's very telling. It's gonna be up here on the screen, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is what? accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes, and we talked about that earlier, right? Relaxing the law, making it easier. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious people, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. So Jesus was at a standard to exceed the right living of the most religious people of his day. And frankly, guys, it's not a standard we can just meet. We can say, sure, I can do that. If I work hard enough, if I try hard enough, if I read enough good quotes and get enough inspiration and have enough people keep me accountable and pray enough and go to church all the time. Jesus is referring to himself here. The only time in the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus came to accomplish this standard, to fulfill the law. In fact, he uses this word pl- "plerou," which means to gives a sense of to fill full. Literally, to, 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 full to the top, fill to the top. So when he says that, that I'm not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he's saying I, I have come to actually do the entire law, to fill full its demands, its requirements. I'm coming to do that for you. Because I've seen that you can't. So, I know it's helpful sometimes to have word pictures other than just words. So imagine this cup... Should I do my best here? As the law. All right? Jesus came to live. Maybe we lived about this much of the law at best. Jesus came to fill it full for us. So he came to fill this law to the top. So all is satisfied. God says, yes, I am pleased by what you've done. He has done it for us. Filled to the top. Jesus has. He offers his life then as a gift and his right record of right living. Here, have my record so you don't have to keep yours. So I can hold on to my life and my efforts of right living, which is something like, this would be me, that's a, a torn styrofoam cup <laughs> with holes in it. This represents something like myself on my own. It's about a quarter full. I if, you, if I let you see it, it'll actually pour out. And I'll have less rightness on my own. And even if you're not me, let's say you're a, on, your, on your own a really good, nice, kind, charitable, awesome person in a really nice glass like this. People will really, impro- they think, man, I love that person. I love the life they're living. I love how noble they are, sacrificial they are. At best, that's about how you can do. About a glass half full. It looks nice. It's beautiful, right? But God says the whole law has to be accomplished. And Jesus' brother James wanted to say, if one law is broken, the whole thing's broken. So that's a problem. You have two choices then. You can trust in your own performance, or you can trust in Jesus' performance for you, on your behalf. That's what it means, by the way, to be a Christian. to Simply acknowledge that Jesus alone did what you could not. And so he is the Savior and God worthy of your trust. I pray that whether you've been in church for a while, or maybe this is your first time, You would choose today to trust Jesus' right record of living. Of His God pleasing over your own. All you have to do is trust. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus. I'll take this one. I'll take perfection that you achieved. Because one day I'm going to die. I'm going to be before the living God. And I'd rather go with you than with me. Jesus so Fulfill, fills full the law that it overflows into production of fruit. Now we 're going to talk a little bit to you who have trust Christ. I want to give you two examples. Jesus fills full the law with love. it overflows into producing fruit in his life, and I'm going to connect this with our lives in a minute. Let me give you two examples of Jesus life. The first commandment: "You shall put no other gods before me." Jesus is offered by the devil every pleasure, isn't he? Remember that in the wilderness? Food to eat, rulership over every kingdom of the world? Jesus says no. Worship the Lord God, serve Him only. He has filled full the law. But because He so loves His Father in heaven, He doesn't just say, Yes, I'm going to put God first. He steals time to be with the Father. Do you remember this? Any moment Jesus gets, He's off in desolate places, being with the Father, being close to Him, being near to Him. Or He's, you know, Luke chapter 2, as a 12 year old, He's off to the temple. Didn't you know I had to be with my Father in His house? See, Jesus doesn't just fulfill the law. It overflows because he loves the Father. And he puts no other thing before him. Here's another example. The sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Think about Jesus. He not only doesn't murder, he doesn't get angry in the face of false accusations at his own murder trial, or even when he's mocked at his execution. He has not only fulfilled the law, but because he so loves, he goes the extra mile by turning the other cheek, right, and praying for his enemies, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Jesus' love, it overflows. He doesn't just fulfill the law. It overflows and spills out into the lives of others. And so you can think of His love being like this. It just overflows. Don't worry, I'm going to clean that up later. It overflows. And when water overflows into, into good soil, what does it do? It produces what? Fruit. In fact, I've made a homemade picture I put up here. My son's helped me with this. If you, you might be able to make out that's water overflowing onto the ground which produces a nice sapling which produces a fruit tree. See that to the, to the right? That Now I didn't have, we don't have a fruit tree. So this tree was, is duct taped bananas and apples onto a tree. But you, you get the point. <laughs> Thank you, Mason and Gage. So for those of you who've already trusted Jesus' right living over your own performance, he's not done with you yet. Jesus so fulfills the law with his love that overflows to produce fruit so that he can do it again through you. He can do it again through us. Jesus did and now wants a redo through us. Here's what I mean by redo, not to come again and die for us. Remember as a kid growing up asking for a redo? Usually it's because we've fallen short of something, right? We were playing a sports match, and we lost. We were doing an art project, and we drew outside the lines, and we ripped up the paper, and we want a new sheet. Or, you know, you failed at a test, so you begged your teacher, please, 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 give me a redo. Every once in a while, people want a redo for something else, when something's done fully and really well to the full, which we call an encore, Right? When someone does something so well, so beautifully, so exquisitely, we watch it again on our DVR. We ask people if they'd sing it again, come back out, right? That's what God wants to do through your life. He wants to produce an encore of Jesus' life through you. He does this by so filling you with God's love through Christ Jesus that it overflows into fruit, Galatians chapter 5. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. All these things, in other words, that are anti-law, right? All violations of the Ten Commandments. He goes on to say, I I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Interesting statement, isn't it, there? Against such things there is no law. No law can regulate, evaluate, measure, and certainly punish fruit of the Spirit because God's love for you is expressed in the Holy Spirit, overflows. It goes beyond the law. It goes beyond the Ten Commandments. You're not thinking, thou shalt not kill. Oh, yes, thou shalt not kill. Don't steal. I'm not supposed to steal. Don't covet. You're thinking, God, you have so loved me. I don't want anything else. God, you have so loved me. I don't want to take from other people. I love them. God, you have so loved me that even though my spouse is imperfect, even though it frustrates me, man, I see God at work in her. I I love that woman. I love that man. It's the overflow of God's love that pours out. It produces fruit in your life. There is no law against such things. So I bring up this picture again. I took in our garden. (laughs) In John chapter 7, Jesus says, whoever trusts in me, out of, out of his heart will overflow rivers of living water. He said this referring to the Holy Spirit. All that's required, friends, is trust. Trust that Jesus filled full what you and I can only do halfway. And thus he's earned the right to be both our Savior and our Lord. And, and I just want to plead with you, if you've never taken that step of trust, if you've trusted in your own works and your own goodness, whether it be pretty shabby, I know like my own, or, you know, you've been pretty good in what you've done. I want to encourage you, trust what Jesus has done instead. He filled full the commandments that God required. The perfect life. So you and I don't have to be subject to the law any longer. And for those of us who have taken that step of trusting Jesus, I want to encourage you, continue to look to Him. Look in the New Testament and how Jesus displayed all this fruit towards people around you? He still does it towards you today. Just think of the cross. Joy. Today you will live with me in paradise, Jesus said, "Enjoy The promise of paradise for two dying men. Himself and a man next to Him. Goodness. Woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. Jesus caring for others, for their good. While He's dying a death He didn't deserve. Faithfulness, peace. It is finished. Jesus' faithfulness to God meant peace for us. Kindness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Self-control. Get down. Save yourself if you're really the Son of God. You who said you would destroy this temple. Yet Jesus did not get down. Friends, look upon Jesus and rest that He has filled full the law we could not do. His love still overflows into and through the hearts of those He loves to produce fruit and give an encore of His life to an onlooking world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You that while we could not live up to this law, You came to fulfill it for us. When we say, man, God, I failed again and again, and I just got to throw the towel in and sit down. We thank You for the law because it reminds us, wait a minute, God is still on His throne. He's still righteous. He's still holy. He's still there. And one day, we'll still have to answer to Him. And so You brought Jesus who said He would fulfill this. Fill full your standards, your demands, when we couldn't. And we can choose his record today just by saying yes to Jesus and no to our old way of living, for our old way of trying to be right with you. Father, I pray that some would this morning. And for those of us who have already made that decision, I pray that we can continue to look to Jesus, look to his love, linger around it, be around it, See the ways in the the Gospels that Jesus, He shows joy, He shows peace, He shows goodness, He shows kindness. He shows self-control when being hurt. And remember, that's all fruit for us to taste and see that the Lord is truly good. And so that love will overflow out of our lives, produce fruit, and be an encore, Jesus, of you to an onlooking world that we might represent you to people who don't yet know you. Amen.